then you have people who are intentional. You have those people who are either communist or people like the NAACP who realize that you could weaponize race and make a bundle of money. Um, and this is what Manning Johnson has blown the whistle on early on in, in the civil rights movement. And we still see some of this stuff happening today. Oh, unquestionably, right? When, when you look at, at the founders of BLM who identified themselves as trained Marxists right. and, and they're using race issues to raise all kinds of money. And what did they do with it? They bought themselves several new homes. Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. You're about to make the jump from the dishonest mainstream media into free and independent thought from key thought leaders on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman. I'm excited to have the guest Tim Barton today on the show. He is the president of Wall Builders, a national pro-life family organization that highlights America's history and heroes with an emphasis on our nation's religious, moral, and constitutional heritage. He's got a podcast called Wall Builders Live that is fantastic that you can enjoy through the week, and he has a host of other fascinating resources at wallbuilders.com. Uh, Tim, thanks so much for being on today, man. I read my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So um, as we are on the cusp of um, Black History Month, I think there's no better way to celebrate than to have two white dudes talking about <laughs> civil rights leaders. So that's what we're going to do today. You know, and we say it tongue in cheek, but the reality is there's some amazing American heroes that don't always look like who we are, right? And it's kind of vice versa. And it's yeah. a little silly to me at times that we, in America, we are still promoting segregation. And it's like, you're right, this new woke racism. Right. Uh, the reality is that there's people that should be celebrated and they were American heroes. And, and, and this is what we at Wall Builders certainly take time to do. Go back in the American Revolution. Some of my favorite military heroes were black patriots. And yet today we just don't know them. Yeah. And even it, it frustrates me a little bit when those individuals maybe are only remembered. Their stories are only told in February and Black History Month because it's easy for some people to go, well, you know, those might be black heroes. And the reality is like, no, those are American heroes. These were incredible patriots. And the same thing with some of these civil rights leaders. There were people who were leading the charge to help America become a better place in many respects and regards. And it's not just that they're black people, and so it's white guys talking about black people. These are American heroes we're talking about as Americans. And so it really does give us a good foundation to have this conversation. That's kind of a, I mean, we're going to be talking about um, MLK and more broadly talking about Manning Johnson, who I believe is one of the unheralded and unfortunately unknown um, civil rights leaders of um of the 20th century. And uh, so we're going to be talking about him because I don't think that you, in many other places you'll, you'll hear about him, but you need to know about him if you don't. But kind of as a side note to that, I, I was thinking about our conversation. I was thinking, I don't, I don't really even know if I like Black History Month. And I think that black people shouldn't like Black History Month because Black History Month is just History Month, right? I mean, I, it would be better if we I guess I'm utilitarian in that if that's what it takes for us to talk about some of this stuff, sure, I guess. But um, but there is no like two histories. There isn't this black history and this white history. That's this identitarian politi political lie that we're telling ourselves now that um, that, it, it, you know, what you say is predicated upon your identity rather than the truth of your statement, which is just this postmodern nonsense. So uh, nonetheless, I'm happy to celebrate um, some historical things that people don't know a lot about, um, and specifically Manning Johnson. So um, we'll get to him in just a minute, but I, I wanted to start like this. I don't know if you're familiar with Catherine Kuhlman, um, but uh, she, uh, whatever people think about her, the one thing she said that I, I remember is that she said that a lot of people had a problem with her being a woman preacher. And she said, well, if you can find some men to get up and talk like I'm talking, then then fine and address the things that I'm addressing, then then do it. But the reason that I'm here is because they're not. And so um, so I think there's some some things about the civil rights movement that a lot of people are not going to talk about that I think we also saw in 2020 and we're still seeing mm -hmm. to this to this day. And a lot of people come away scratching their head. They like they wonder how Black Lives Matter can be a Marxist organization and really do what's in the best interest of, of black people. And where did what, why are they Marxist? And, and so there's a, a rich history here that I'm, I'm so thankful that you're on to, uh, to discuss with me. But 
um, I want to start with Martin Luther King Jr. Because obviously, when we think about civil rights leaders, uh, we think about uh, we think about him. And there's no really good segue for this, but um, so I'm just going to jump into it. But what did you think about that statue, man, in Boston? <laughs> it was terrible. Ten million dollars to yeah. come up with that. It was, I mean, awful. He is someone who should have statues. Right. Yeah. Recognizing his contribution, he should have statues. Now, let's also, as long as we're talking about statues, let's go in the statue conversation for a second. Because if, if you're looking at MLK's life as a whole, just like every single human who has ever lived, MLK had some pretty big flaws. Yeah. And MLK, I mean, I'm sure the conversation we'll get into uh, some of the communism and, you know, the FBI wiretapping him because they're thinking he's part of, you know, maybe this communist movement. And at that time, America is very anti-communism as you're looking at, at coming out of World War II and, and the Korean War. Now you're in the Cold War. Like, we're very anti-communism in America at this point. And so if he's going to be a communist leader, they're going to spy on him. And they found out some some pretty bad things about MLK. With that being said, it's worth noting that just because you found out someone was human and someone yeah. had fleshly sinful and even maybe wicked and evil moments, it, it doesn't necessarily take away from their positive contributions. And what we celebrate about someone like MLK is his positive contribution while at the same time recognizing he was a man who was sinful as a Christian, right? I would say he was a sinner who needed a savior. And yeah. I believe he had one. I believe he, right, he was a Christian. He knew Jesus. And so as a fellow Christian, I can kind of give that affirmation. However, we recognize people aren't perfect. And we live in an era where people, if, if, if culture finds out someone with a statue has whatever kind of sin that is the new modern grievance and they want to cancel them and tear down their statue, well, right? I mean, that's just, it, it's silly for lots and lots of reasons. So I'm not into tearing down statues. However, if we were going to tear down statues, I think tear down the statues that were awful statues. And unfortunately, this is yeah. an awful statue. This is yeah. terrible. For $10 million, you could have done a lot better. And this is also something to speak into like kind of this Marxist communist ideology is part of the way that they even in their doctrine, right? And kind of their orthodoxy, they want to undermine culture is they do talk about if if you can go to this modern art perspective and you can cheapen art and make art something less than what art should be, that's part of degrading the culture. Well, I think this MLK statue is a great example, right? This is this is not what a sculpture honoring someone should be. This is actually kind of degrading on some level, even though yeah. MLK is someone I believe should have statues. This this woke modern kind of modern art interpretation, I think, was a very poor job at a statue to honor MLK. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where it's like, uh, what do you see? And whatever you see, that's what it is kind of approach to, to art. But I mean, the vast majority of people who've commented on this, what they see is is hands holding uh, the production of a colon or hands holding, uh, since we're going to be G-rated as much as possible, hands holding a male sex organ or, I mean, those are the kind of images this thing kind of produces. And, and, and maybe it goes back to just kind of like the destruction of of um, universal values, because mm -hmm. ultimately we're not supposed to just look at MLK and see whatever we see. We're supposed to be able to, in the midst, like you said, of some of the negative aspects that we should be honest about, and we will, um, but also see the good and be able to see the universal truths that were uplifted by this man that still should be celebrated today. One of which is don't judge a person by the conduct of, or, or by the color of their skin, but by the conduct of their character. But the real contribution that I think that uh, that we don't talk about enough is the the importance of the attachment of MLK to Christian faith yeah. and civil rights and the abolition of slavery. Um, I don't. I I think we think civil rights came from the the heart of the human, uh, the heart of the human, and and the ingenuity of the human mind, rather than from the Bible. Um, and and I know that there are people throughout history, including our founders, some of which who believed in the Bible, then held slaves, and all of this stuff. But if you understand history, you know that uh, as you do. Um, 
you understand the Christian roots of the civil rights movement and uh, the abolition of slavery with people like William Wilberforce, George Whitfield, um, uh, Jonathan Edwards, and, and, and many, many more leading up until Martin Luther King Jr. So Martin Luther King Jr. was standing on the, the shoulders of so many people that brought, um, that brought civil rights and abolition to us as, as we now have it in the present. So I think that's a missing piece of history um, that, that we don't, that we don't highlight enough around this time, that without Christianity, there is yeah. no such thing as civil rights. Yeah, I, I think it's a really great point. One of the things that is worth noting, especially that's easy to identify in America, if you go back to any of the major abolition movements, which you can go back to the 1600s, and you can see the Quakers in the 1600s forming yeah. and beginning abolition movements back then. Now, we also could talk about the, the Pilgrims and the Puritans and how uh, they believed in the equality of the individual. Uh, I mean, we can go th literally track through, but to your point, it's biblical values. And, and when you look at American history, every single major abolitionist was someone that was motivated by their Christian faith to fight against the evils of the slave trade, to fight against the evils of slavery, uh, the, the, the practice and abuse uh, against individuals not recognizing equal rights under the law, etc. It, it was always people of faith. You're going to be hard-pressed to find any major American abolitionist who was not motivated by their faith. Now, you can come forward to like a Malcolm X, and obviously that's where you're going to see some different perspective. Right. But at that point, too, it we are well beyond a lot of the conversation of the the opposition to slavery, et cetera. And, and it's also worth noting as we're talking about kind of the, the Christian underpinnings of the abolition movement, some people say, yeah, but right in the South, right, Civil War era, you had, you had pastors in the South who were promoting the Bible, right, as, as the reason for slavery. And, and it, like, fundamentally, it's true. They, there absolutely were pastors in the South sure. who were using the Bible to justify slavery. However, I will point out the Bible's been used and argued by people to justify lots of things that it actually doesn't justify. For anyone <laughs> yeah, familiar polygamy with and all sorts of things. Or familiar, like even with the story of Jesus, when Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted and the devil shows up, the devil actually used scripture to try to talk Jesus into doing something that wasn't right. Right. Yeah. And this is where Jesus says, Hey, man doesn't live by bread alone, right? That he goes through and he rebukes the devil with scripture. Well, you can use the Bible and and miss the context, miss the point of what it is. And you can try to use the Bible to justify your actions and behavior. It doesn't mean that you are using those verses correctly. It doesn't mean you're interpreting them correctly or that that's actually God's design and intent. And this is where I, I would just right throw that, that balance in there when people would say, yeah, but right, I mean, even as you mentioned, there were founding fathers who believed the Bible to some regard and still owned slaves. And I think there's even more context than that. But the point is that this is not something the Bible was promoting, endorsing, and supporting. In fact, people who were following the Bible were using the Bible as motivation and inspiration to fight against the evils of the slave trade, to fight against the evils and the injustice of slavery and to, to fight for equality. And had it not been for the Bible, you would not have seen any kind of movement like we saw. And you can even go back to England. William Wilberforce, who's the, the leader of the anti-slavery movement in England, William Wilberforce was a very strong, outspoken Christian. And again, yeah. it was the Christian faith. It was the Bible that was the inspiration and motivation for all of the great abolitionists that were the ones leading the charge to end the slave trade and to end slavery. Yeah, 100%. So I'm kind of curious, and maybe a little bit of this is conjecture, but you guys at Wall Builders are on the forefront of this fight more than more than anybody that I really know of. Um, I mean, sincerely, within the conservative movement um, broadly, but then it, more myopically in the Christian movement, I think of like um, broadly, I think of Hillsdale, but then I think about you guys who are on both of those fronts who are actually kind of from the conservative perspective trying to teach history. Uh, so you guys, I, I'm really curious what your thoughts are on this. We're, when people talk about Christianity today, by and large, this is what, what what we get. Well, the Bible justifies slavery. The Bible is this neo-colonialistic book that's intending to oppress people. I mean, that's generally the impression. Sure. Um, I mean, and I can even hear people going into the comment section right now on YouTube uh, saying these very, very illogical and unhistorical things. Where do you think the chief vector of some of that misinformation as far as history is concerned comes from? 
Yeah, well, it's also right, right, like your Bill Maher perspective, right? That if yeah, you're yeah. a Christian, then you have to not eat shrimp and lobster, right? Like you, had, like you know, just kind of this perspective as he's going to try to quote Levitical law. Well, th- there's a lot of context that's missing, and it's one of the things too that we see so often in history when people look back, like to Christopher Columbus, and they go, "Man, Christopher Columbus, right? He was an evil dude, and he enslaved all the natives, right. and he murdered, and he raped, and he pillaged." And and if you go back and study Columbus, you realize that's not the story at all. But what, what we realize is when you don't know the truth, it's easy to believe a lie. And we realize that we largely deal culturally with two kinds of people. We deal with the ignorant and we deal with the intentional. The, the mm. ignorant don't know what's true. And so they buy into the lie because they just don't know what's true. Well, you can, you can educate the ignorant, right? You can have an honest conversation. You can guide them to truth. Whereas the intentional, they don't care about truth. They, they fall more in the category when Jesus told his disciples, right, that there's sometimes you, you just need to shake the dust off your feet. You need to keep moving. And even he talked about that you don't cast your pearls before swine, that you're wasting yeah. your time in this scenario. Well, those are the intentional. There are people in, in our culture right now, I, I would actually argue people like a Nancy Pelosi, like a Joe Biden. These people are not ignorant of what they are doing. They're being very intentional in what they are promoting, their political philosophy, their ideology. And, and so they're not people that can be educated to then go, oh, that's who the founding fathers were. Oh, that's who America, like, oh, where, where Joe Biden just talked about that, the travesty that instead of celebrating the 50th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, right, that, that there was a march for life and Roe was overturned. He said, but we're going to fight to try to restore Roe versus Wade. Well, that, that's not someone who doesn't understand that there is an unborn child in a mother's womb. That's someone who is intentional about what they are doing. They're not ignorant. They're intentional. And, and this is where when we look at things, whether it be from the Bible, whether it be from American history, we always try to gauge who it is we're having a conversation with because it helps us know the, the depth of the level we want to go into. Because so often, for me, I talk to a lot of, of young people, college students, uh, young professionals, even high school students, and they will have very strong emotional opinions. And I can ask them some very simple questions and really getting them to explain their position. And usually when I have them try to give a defense of their position, they find themselves caught and they go, uh, and it's like for the first time they realize they don't know what they're talking about. And until you help someone who's ignorant, until you help them realize that they don't really have a leg to stand on, they're not always ready to receive the truth. But once they realize that they really don't have a good defense for that, then you can offer, so have you ever thought about this? Well, the reason I think this, well, the reason I go this direction, or, hey, maybe you should read this article or this speech. And when they begin to see there's more to the story than just what they were fed, right? Than, than just what some professor told them, than just what whatever the modern book they read or what their social media star, what some athlete tweeted. Yeah. When, when they begin to see there's more to the story, then you can educate the ignorant and you can change perspective. But there's, again, that balance between the ignorant and the intentional. And so for us, as we're trying to help people understand the foundations of the Bible in America, we always want to help people have a better understanding and give them context. But then there's some people that we just kind of agree to disagree and go different directions because we recognize that that they're not open to truth. They don't want the truth. They're rejecting the truth. And so at that point, we're kind of wasting our time on some level. And it's not that we don't want to give them an opportunity. We just will not prolong that. I'm not going to beat my head against the wall with someone who really doesn't want to know. I'm going to be wise. And then I'm going to move on to have a conversation with somebody else who is more open to having an honest conversation. Yeah, I've got a kind of good illustration. That's a, that's a brilliant point about ignorant and, um, and, and people who don't want to know the truth. Intentional. Um, yeah, ignorant and intentional. Um, because I was listening to Sam Harris speak with Ben Shapiro the other day, and he brought up this point about like the, the Bible endorses slavery and blah, 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 and, and did this whole tirade. And Ben then responded and said something to the effect of, uh, well, I mean, you also have to understand historically, right? You shouldn't have a very like easy reading of history because, I mean, look at everything that Christianity has done. There's no science without Christianity. Look at, you know, hospitals that have and, and, and academies that have been birthed all from Christianity in the past. And Sam Harris's like dismissive comment back to that was, well, that's a genetic fallacy. Um, the only thing that was around at the time was Christianity. So there wasn't anything else that really had the opportunity to, to do anything. And I'm just like, well, that's a very dismissive comment because it doesn't actually recognize the 
the elements of Christianity that made those things right. possible. So well, for me, I think there's a bit of intentionality, and it just ruffles my feathers when I hear any of the new atheists actually talk about religion because they feel they they dismiss it entirely without actually thinking about it at all. Um, and, and, and I'd love to point out too, right, that they're being intellectually dishonest because the other argument against Christianity is like, look at all the bad that Christianity has done when when, when they fail to recognize, right, like. Every single religion, every single people group in the world has done the same evil you're accusing Christianity of. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? You want to talk about sexism, talk about racism, talk about slavery. You cannot find a nation or a people group that did not participate in that or that doesn't still currently participate in that at some level. Yeah. And what happened, like the same thing with the founding fathers, right? When, when someone says, man, the founding fathers, they were all these racist, big and slave holders, which first of all, not all the founding fathers were slaveholders. They certainly were not all racist or bigots. In fact, the majority of them came out against slavery, came right. out against the slave trade. Actually, many of them even started abolition societies or, or they, they paid money, supported the, the extension, the, the growth of abolition societies. So, so certainly they were not all these racist bigots, but, but here's the point that I would ask people is you're, you're talking about political leaders in America that had slaves. This is the 1700s. Can you name any political leaders anywhere else in the world that did not have slaves in the 1700s? And this is where we're being intellectually dishonest because right. th this was the way the world was in the 1700s. Every single person of power and influence in the 1700s had slaves because that was the status of power and influence and money and wealth. This is what you did in the 1700s. What was unique then about the founding fathers is they were the first political leaders anywhere in the world to start going against the trend of slavery, yeah. of mm -hmm. owning slaves, of, of right, having this as a status symbol of your power and wealth. So the founding fathers are guilty on some extent, and again, not all of them, because you, like, you have your John Adams, you have your Sam Adams, you, you have your people right. who never owned slaves and fighting in slavery their whole life. But the, the majority of founding fathers at some point in their life did own slaves, but all then you're saying is they're guilty of doing what every other political leader everywhere else in the world did. But where they then become special and unique is when you have guys like John Jay, who was the original chief justice of the US Supreme Court. When we go through the American Revolution and John Jay writes that this was a revelation for him that for the first time in his life that so many founding fathers, he says so many people in America are beginning to see the hypocrisy that we are fighting for our own freedom and independence while we are enslaving others. Yeah. He says that this is now going to, to make us consider what we are doing with our lives and, and, and have to consider what we're going to do with the notion of owning slaves. Well, John Jay ends up freeing all the slaves. He ends up founding the New York Abolition Society to end slavery in all of New York. Well, this is the revelation many founding fathers went through when they saw the hypocrisy of their own actions. However, again, this is the first place in the world where you have political leaders leading an abolition movement to end slavery. But this is where people are intellectually dishonest because they want to accuse America or the founding fathers or Christianity of being guilty of something that everybody else in the world was doing right. without recognizing that it was it was actually Christianity that was leading the movement before anywhere else in the world to oppose the evils of slavery, to promote this notion of equality, etc. And this is where certainly guys like Sam Harris are being intellectually dishonest because they don't want to have to acknowledge the benefits of what Christianity yeah. has actually done or how yeah. it actually does make the world a better place. Yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't be um, a really good uh, new atheist and also at the same time say, well, we have to lay um, the civil rights movement at Christianity's feet because without Christianity, we're not ending slavery quicker than any other civilization in human history in the American West, right? Because it's, I mean, that the roots of Christianity that, that burn through uh, every... <clears throat> Every aspect, not only of our founding, but of our institutions is the reason why we were able to do that. And Christianity mm -hmm. is at the bedrock of all of that. So, so yeah, so when you talk about ignorant and intentional, that does kind of segue us to the next part kind of of the MLK legacy that will also bring us to, um, uh, to Manning Johnson, uh, which is that um, we need to be able to uh, nuance and be able to appreciate the good and, and also be honest about the things that aren't good, the bad. Um, and so with the ignorant and intentional thing, um, it reminds me of a, of a wise saying that I believe was originally, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's either Stalin or, um, 
it was either Stalin that f- phrased it or it was before him, but uh, the, the, the term of useful idiots. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so you have useful idiots and those are the people who are ignorant. And then you have the, um, the true believers who are in, intentional. So um, it, one of the things that, that we need to be honest about, about the legacy of MLK is that also he had communist ties. And then there's a lot of, people that wonder where that came from. Um, and um, there's no better place for me to investigate that than to go to um, Manning Johnson, who mm-hmm. was a civil rights leader in the 1930s and then um, and then blew the whistle um, after being in the movement because he saw actively mm-hmm. people sent from Stalin to, um, uh, to infiltrate the civil rights movement in America to um, uh, to implement their communist revolution in America, to separate America, to, to destroy it, and then to try to um, conquer it. So all the way back in the 30s and beyond, the communists were planting people in the civil rights movement. So I think Manning Johnson is not only a whistleblower, but also somebody that can highlight kind of the history of the civil rights movement for us in such a such a powerful way. So what would you say the legacy um, at the end of the day of Manning Johnson is? And then we'll kind of get a little bit into the into the weeds with who he is. But big picture, what do you think the legacy of Manning Johnson is? I think he was a courageous, heroic civil rights leader. As you identified, he was someone that got caught up in uh, the communist movement. And it's also worth noting, right, as we look at America historically, uh, the, the there were two major political systems, right? Two political parties of the day: the Republicans and the Democrats. The Republican Party uh, it goes back to the 1850s. It, it is founded as the party of anti-slavery, of equality, of of justice in many regards, and and that was the way it remained. I, I mean, arguably, you know, even coming up to this day, when people want to talk about that, well, there was a great switch between the Republican and Democrat Party. It's really bogus. It's not real hard to dismantle that, even though it's repeated a lot and people believe it because they've heard it yeah. enough. There's, there's not really evidence for that, right? If you're going to argue that there was a great switch, first of all, when did it happen? And, and they'll say, well, you know, maybe the 1930s, maybe the 1960s. Well, no, it, it matters. Like, when, when did it switch? And then what major political leader switched? And they'll usually point to, like, one U.S. senator, and that's all. Well, if there was a major party switch, wouldn't it make sense that, like, every Republican became Democrat and every Democrat became Republican? And what you'll find is that only a fraction, I mean a fraction of percentage of people who were ever Democrats became Republicans, Republicans became Democrats. The great switch is just a myth, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not a reality. There's some great videos out there. Prager University covers this. Dinesh Souza covers it. Just going through and documenting some of that. But the reason I bring this up is because when, when you're talking about the civil rights movement, when, when you finish the Civil War, Republicans largely have power of the House, the Senate presidency. And so you have the Reconstruction era. And in Reconstruction, this is when you have the the first black Americans, first African Americans that are elected to office, largely statewide positions uh, that are elected to Congress, are elected to Senate, especially from the southern states. And then as you go forward, the end of the Reconstruction era, there's a a presidential campaign and uh, there's actually a complete lockup. Uh, there's not a electoral college victory, and so it goes to the House, which is what the Constitution specifies, that if there's not a winner of the electoral college, it goes to the House, and then there's a debate in the House, and, and there wasn't enough of a vote for any winner to come out of the House. And what happened is some of the Southern Democrats said, look, we will vote for the Republican candidate to be president if you will agree to remove your Union troops from the South. And the reason this mattered was because the Union troops were the ones who were enforcing the the equality laws, right? When we pass the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment, when when we begin passing those civil rights laws, those early laws after the Civil War, well, the South wasn't upholding those laws. And so the Union troops went to the South to enforce those laws. Well, when the Democrat congressmen say, we'll vote for Republican president, as long as you get rid of these, these Union troops, then you can have it. So that's what happened. That Republicans said, fine, we want the presidency. We'll, we'll pull the troops out of the South. When the troops were pulled out of the South, this is when the Jim Crow laws began being passed in the Deep South. And this is when you just saw all kinds of issues happen. When, when the Jim Crow laws were passed in the South, all of a sudden the black individuals in the Southern states are disenfranchised. They're not allowed to vote anymore. Racist policies are enacted. Well, when they're not allowed to vote anymore, all of a sudden the South goes entirely Democratic. So now Democrats are able to begin winning back power in the House and the Senate. They win the presidency. And they more or less control Congress for the next decades. And so, so much 
of this this evil goes on. And actually, this is when you had the rebirth of the KKK. Uh, you, you see this especially under Woodrow Wilson uh, when there's people from his administration that reportedly marching openly with the KKK. The KKK had open marches in Washington, D.C. under Woodrow Wilson's uh, presidency under his administration. An incredible racist guy. At the end of the Civil War, we no longer had a segregated military. It was an integrated military. Woodrow Wilson leading into World War I says we're going to segregate the military again. And the reason all this context matters is because as you're getting into Manning Johnson in the early 1900s, Manning Johnson is growing up in an era where there is a lot of racism, a, a lot of racism, especially from white Democrats. And communism comes along, and communism and this pseudo of social justice, because in Marxism, right, in, in communism, the idea is that we're going to put people in groups, and then we're going to use those groups to our political advantage. And that's what communism did. Communism went to largely black communities, and they said that, hey, we can give you a voice. And, and they promoted social justice. And so you have individuals in the black community who are just looking for a voice, who are just looking to, to find some, like some little piece of yeah. equality and justice because they've been living under the thumb of these racist white Democrats for literally decades. Yeah. And communism is offering them something that they're not finding in the political structure, this power structure under these white racist Democrats. So, so I understand why there was an appeal. And this is where Manning Johnson, like he openly acknowledged, he got sucked into this. But then he realized that, that the communists weren't actually trying to promote the benefit of the black community. They wanted to use the black community as a pawn on their chessboard, yeah. right, as a, as a tool in their toolbox to promote the ideas of communism. And so that's where Manning Johnson, he awakened to it, came out and said, this is wrong. And he began to blow the whistle, as you identified, for so many individuals to realize what was really happening. And that's where even if we talk about the legacy of MLK, MLK definitely had some ties to communism. But that was especially true when you look earlier in his life and in mm -hmm. his civil rights movement career. As you go further, he begins to separate himself from a lot of the communism and begin calling out what communism was. Now, the reason there's even more questions about that is because a lot of what he was promoting with even some of the social justice movement, it was things that communists were promoting at the same time. But MLK then begins to openly call out communism. In fact, there's a, a great quote in one of the books he wrote where he says that communism, it is nothing more than cold atheism wrapped in the garments of materialism. Communism provides no place for God or Christ. And, mm. and MLK was very clear that his movement was a, a God-first movement. Uh, one of the great things that for anybody listening and watching, you should go look up right now. Go look up MLK's Ten Commandments. If you were going to march with MLK, the Birmingham March, the Birmingham Movement, they had what were known as the Ten Commandments of the movement. Look up MLK's Ten Commandments. And, and before you could march in the movement with MLK, you had to sign on to these Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, you were pledging to no violence. You, you were pledging to read your Bible daily. You were pledging right. to follow Christ as an example. Yeah, it's undeniable. And, Right. And, and the reason this matters is because that communism absolutely wants to remove Christ from the equation because they want government to be the God of the equation. Yeah. And so Christianity yeah. and communism I think, I think are not it was compatible. Marx. And that's actually part of what led MLK to go a separate direction, even though some of the course he was walking was very similar to communism. He recognized the disparity that we had, he had to have God in his movement, whereas communism yeah. didn't want God in the movement. Yeah, 100 percent. I think it was Marx who said that. Communism begins where atheism starts. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was obviously a very atheistic movement, starting with Karl Marx, who was an atheist, and then into Stalin. So um, I want to step back just for a moment, just because uh, the, the transition here is really fascinating to me. So I think it was Lenin, by the way, who came up with the term useful idiots, and then the true believers would be communists. Um, and then his protege, Stalin, comes onto the scene in the 1930s. So this is around the same time Manning Johnson's coming onto mm -hmm. the scene. He's getting into the civil rights movement, and then he recognizes that the civil rights movement has totally been abdicated by a bunch of white people in Russia and trying to cr convert them to communism. Now, um, this isn't meant to be uncharitable, but 
the communists believe that blacks in America could be used as useful idiots for their cause um, and their true believing cause, which was to create revolution in America so that they could ultimately come and subdue it. Um, but is it Stalin who is sending people from the Kremlin to to America to infiltrate the uh, the civil rights movement, or where where does that where is that plan hatched? So there's a lot of I mean there's a lot of unpacking this bag because there's a lot of things we can point to. Uh, a lot of it happened even in higher education uh, because uh, Harvard is the first university to bring in a PhD program, uh, and it largely comes from the Frankfurt School in Germany. Well. Guess what the Frankfurt School in Germany, what their ideology was? Their, their ideology absolutely was a communist Marxist ideology. That gets integrated into America through a higher education system and it was part of the progressive movement by and large. And not every progressive was a communist, but communism definitely had strong links in the progressive movement. And so there were, there were Americans openly welcoming this in. There's a lot of interesting correspondence to, to your point. Um, ties to Germany, ties to Russia, to some of these major communist, socialist, Marxist regimes. And there were Americans openly welcoming this in. The communist movement began in America for a long time, which actually is interesting. If you go back to, to critical theory, right? Because today we know critical race theory. Well, go back to critical theory. Go, go back and study that because critical theory was very much a communist and Marxist idea. And, and for those that, that might not be caught up to speed on the, kind of the basics of Marxism, the idea of Marx was that y y there's, only, there's only two groups of people. You have the oppressed and the oppressors. You, you have those in power and those yeah. who are being abused by those in power. And, right. And, and so as Marx is promoting these ideas of the oppressed and the oppressor, which is even – it's so crazy to look at today. Marx said that sometimes you have to, you have to inform the oppressed they're oppressed, right? You have to teach yeah. them they're oppressed because they might not know they're oppressed. But if they don't, if they don't believe they're oppressed, then you can never use them to rise up against the oppressor. So he was actually teaching how you can make people think they're oppressed to use them politically to rise up against the oppressor, to overthrow the power structure, to right, have a different system in a form. Well, th this was exactly what was being embraced by liberal progressives in America. And so they began promoting a lot of class structure. Well, the class structure they promoted initially in America was an economic class structure where they said that, right, everybody with money, they're just cheating and abusing those without money. And, and so they set it up critical theory. It was like a critical economic theory. The problem was in America, there is so much fluidity with an economic system that for every single person, like I will, I will extend this challenge. I think it's 100% correct. Every single person listening right now, Every single person watching right now, either your great-grandparents, your grandparents, your parents were in dire poverty, one of them were, and, and they were able in America to overcome, to rise above poverty and to establish a better economic structure. And that's the goal for all of us listening right now. I, I am married. I, I have a couple kids. Our goal as, as, as families, our goal as parents is to give our kids a stronger foundation than the ones we were born into, right? That this is the idea. We want to give a foundation to set our family up for success. Well, well this is what in America, we have an opportunity that there's that privilege we can in America, regardless of where we started, we can achieve and economically you can climb the ladder of financial success and financial stability in America. And so critical theory, which again was an economic theory, it didn't, it didn't last in America because people had too much economic right fluidity and what they were able to accomplish but but this again it goes back to this notion of what marxists were trying to do they, they were trying to to put people into groups so they could use the groups against each other and this is exactly where, where again you go back to where marxism was at its, its heyday well really you're looking in in eastern europe and that's where you're looking in russia right you're arguably looking in germany in some of these places that were promoting these ideologies and then when you have the Frankfurt School from Germany, when you have American progressives saying we want to be educated like those people over in Europe, and especially when you have atheists in America, because there were many atheists in this, this kind of academic hierarchy that were looking for other options. And, and how, can you, how can you get people away from Christianity? Well, communism was thought to be the idea. Let's import communism. Let's import this, this Marxist socialist ideology. And, and for people listening, like, this might seem like crazy far-fetched. This is pretty well documented, right? Like, yeah. I, I would encourage you, don't take my word for this. Go back and do a little research and you will see there's some, some crazy ties in this regard. 
And the communists were even pretty open about what they wanted to accomplish and saying that if we can get our right, if we can get our tentacles in to what's happening in America, we can use communism to overthrow the power structure, the system of America. That was always the idea. And they wanted to do it using groups. And that's why for communists, the black community seemed like that this was low hanging fruit, right? This is an easy group to go and pull into us what we're trying to do, because we then can educate them to how oppressed they are, which arguably, right, for so many of the black community living in these really racist Democrat states or racist Democrat cities, yeah, there actually was some pretty racist oppression happening under these racist Democrat leaders. That's true in many regards. Now, that's not true for all of America because, right, you didn't find Jim Crow laws in Montana. There weren't Jim Crow laws in Idaho, right? Like, we're talking generally about the deep racist South at that point. Nonetheless, the point was, this is where the communists saw some low-hanging fruit in the black community, and this was a target. And as identified, you can find roots going to Russia, to Germany, to, to many things from Eastern Europe at that time. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is so beautiful because this is so important for us to understand. Because I think what you described with people saying, oh, this seems far-fetched, is kind of the impression that I get from a lot of people who don't see the correlation in in history and that that's the important contribution of uh, a contribution of Manning as well because he wrote a book uh, it's kind of a, a memoir of sorts I suppose mm-hmm. um, uh, called color um, communism and common sense and in it he kind of goes through the history of how this all started how he got into the movement how he himself became a communist and then how he saw the communist movement actually just really exploiting back black people for their for their own agenda um, and and you guys have written prolifically about this at Wall Builders, too. I'd encourage people to check that out. But one of the quotes of uh, Manning Johnson is this, and I think this is just so eye-opening. He said, the fact that the Reds have never contributed anything tangible to the progress of the Negro is overlooked, though the Reds have collected millions of dollars as a result of race incitement, like the Communist Party, the NAACP, has collected millions of dollars through exploitation of race issues. The bigger the race issue, the bigger the appeal, and the bigger the contributions. And I think that's fascinating because it comes back to something that I see all the time uh, when we wonder why things are happening. Well, follow the money is never a phrase that doesn't actually lead you to a conclusion. Um, And in this case, you think to yourself, well, how did communists infiltrate uh, the civil rights movement and um, and many black people in in the 1930s and moving into the 40s and 50s, um, and this is how um, one through the intentional and the ignorant. So the ignorant thought, yes, I am oppressed and I need an answer to this, and I'm not finding it in my country. Uh, my political class is not offering it for me. So people were desperate for a solution, and the communists came in and offered a very poisonous one. Um, but then you have people who are intentional. You have those people who are either communist or people like the NAACP who realized that you could weaponize race and make Mm. a bundle of money. Um, And this is what Manning Johnson has blown the whistle on early on in in the civil rights movement. And we still see some of this stuff happening today. Oh, unquestionably, right? When when you look at at the founders of BLM, who identified themselves as trained Marxists, right. and, and they're using race issues to raise all kinds of money. And what did they do with it? They bought themselves several new homes, right? I mean, they, they hired their family for millions of dollars. And like, there's a reason they're going through lawsuits. Yeah. Uh, genuinely, there are some very frustrated individuals in the black community who are going, we, we, we gave all this money and none of it came to our community. Well, yeah, you would think if you've raised tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars that it should go when, when some of the identified problems there, there's a, a lack of infrastructure in some of these Democrat run cities and especially in the black community, the, the education system is terrible. When right. you start looking at some of the problems, whether it be housing or whatever else it is. And obviously we can talk about some of the, the bigger problems we think underlying issues. Nonetheless, when you start looking at, at some of the things we see on the surface level, and then you have trained Marxists who exploited the situation for their own gain. This is exactly what communists and Marxists do. They, they try to use people. And, you know, as we mentioned, go back to the early communist movement, the civil rights era. It's not that 
people in the black community, right, when we're talking about how they were, they were ignorant and so therefore they were manipulated, it, it's not that they were ignorant of the fact that they lived in a bad situation and that there were racists abusing them on some level around them. Like, that was true. What they were ignorant of is when they were buying into the communist ideology, they were ignorant of the fact that wasn't going to produce what they thought it was going to produce. That wasn't going to help them the way they thought it was going to help them. Just like to this point, BLM has offered no help in the way that they were proposing to help people. Yeah. Instead, the founders now are all undergoing lawsuits for stealing money from this charitable organization, right, quote-unquote charitable organization they started. And if you do more research into the founders of this, you realize that, that these are frauds, yeah. right? It, it, was, it was literally, it was, it was two lesbian ladies, and, and they, they started BLM, Black Lives Matter. The idea was they wanted to to help the black community embrace the LGBTQ plus community more. This wasn't initially started over police brutality, but when they started the organization, they didn't recognize opportunities. They utilized those opportunities to exploit people for their own financial gain. This is what Marxists do. Now, we can say Marxists. I mean, this is what this is what a debased human nature does, right? right? This is what people that are not being led by Christ, that don't have a good moral compass, this is what people do in general. But this is always consistent in a Marxist, communist, socialist ideology from political leaders that the, the, the false promise of socialism yeah. is that we all can be the same. Well, not everybody can be the same because somebody has to be in charge of the money to distribute the money, right? So, so the promise of socialism is that we all can be animals in the zoo, but there always is going to be a zookeeper who determines what animal is going to get how much and who's going to be in charge, who's going to control things. The reason that some of our political leaders are not scared of socialism is because as long as you're the political leader, when socialism happens, your life's going to be good. Yeah. But for everybody else, the only thing they're equally going to receive is equally receive a share of the problems and the yeah. misery and the inflation, right? The, the expensive groceries, the expensive gas. This is what happens under socialism. But under this power structure of Marxism, communism, socialism, the political leaders never mind using people for their advantage and for their benefit. And this is what we've seen even in our modern era with the founders of BLM, or as we even identified with the NAACP, this is a political sham, which yeah. arguably, right, arguably NAACP, we could argue, man, there was some there was some good motivation at its founding. There were people who were trying to promote a good idea, but but this is where they've taken what arguably could have been a good idea. Now I'm saying arguably we can have a discussion, but arguably could have been a good idea, and they've used it for their political gain and purposes and not to benefit at many times and occasions, the very community they're claiming to try to benefit. Yeah, this yeah, I want to I mention something about this real quick, too, because I just covered a story the other day, which is actually an old story, but it just cropped back up on Twitter with the NAACP um, and Coke doing back deals, weaponizing um, race against the enemies of Coke. And this guy, I, I forget his name, but... Um, was talking about being a consultant for Coke and in those back rooms and how on the surface the NAACP was with saying, hey, we'll make your uh, anybody that opposes you, we'll turn them into racists and uh, and and that'll benefit you greatly. We'll make sure we smear them and all, all it'll cost you is a couple hundred thousand dollars. And so Coke gives them endowments and continues to do it to this very day. And then they go and they fight um, uh, a Bloomberg policy that tries to restrict high sugar drinks in in New York and the NAACP of all people are fighting that policy. I mean are you are you familiar with this? Have you have you seen oh, that? Oh yeah. Story? Yeah, they're saying it's racist, right? Yeah. And, and, and to your point, I mean this is where you can argue that an organization that had arguably, right, a a good moral idea at the beginning they're not motivated by a good moral idea anymore. They they are are using their power as a tool and a weapon. And if you give money to us, then then we'll help you, right? And if you don't give money to us, then we're going to call you racist and we're going to call you whatever the names we want to call you. This is what communists and Marxists do, right? This is what happens in that regime. And let's also be clear, I, I will say this as a Christian, right? I, I think if we don't have the morals of the Bible, and this is where our nation's in trouble now, when you don't have the morals of the Bible, that the, the moral teachings of Jesus, where he taught that you should treat other people the way you want to be treated, that, that you should love your neighbors yourself. When we yeah. don't have this moral compass of treating people with decency and honor and respect and love, and we should forgive people, when you don't have that kind of moral compass, then you live in a world and society where someone that has power, has authority, or someone that's in charge of the NAACP says, if you don't give us money, then we're going to accuse you of being racist. 
That's not a moral thing to do at all. But when you remove a moral compass, this is what we are left with. But this is also part of what the communist idea wanted to do in the first place. And it's why they said you need to get rid of God. Because once you get rid of God, then we can put people in groups and we can use those groups and control those groups. And those groups we can use the oppressed to go against the oppressor. And we will throw down the oppressor so that we will always have the power. This is why communism always wants to remove God. Because with God, there is a standard. There is a moral compass. There is truth. There is right and wrong. And therefore, you can't get away with some of this immoral behavior if there is God and you have that moral compass, that code, the Bible. And this is where we are seeing a challenge in the nation today. We're seeing a challenge because there's a growth of Marxism, of communism, of socialism in America. And there's a decline of people who have a moral code and compass based on the Bible. And so we're seeing a, a difficult situation from two different places. Yeah, the, 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 and another real problem with Christianity, right, is that there's a leader, and it's not you. So, so, so that's why communists actually absolutely hate it. You know, I'm I'm bewildered at times um, because uh, because it's so interesting, but I'm also not because I believe in a spiritual world and I believe in a in, in a devil and the enemy. Um, but it is a little bit frustrating and bewildering that as much as we have seen this throughout history, not only the failure of communism and socialism as it's been tried over and over again, and what it actually ends up doing, which is exactly what you illustrated, is that it eventually creates a serfdom class that serves these people who then distribute all the things that we're supposed to share equally. Um, but uh, uh, but I'm, I'm, I, not only do we have this kind of like um, ignorance of history, I guess, but I'm, I'm bewildered that the one thing that was actually most effective in the civil rights movement is now the thing that we want to try to step away from the most. Right. So it's the thing that was the most divisive and the most evil about the civil rights movement, these kind of socialistic policies. Um, and, you know, and you hear like every time Martin Luther King Jr. Day rolls around, we've even got the brain trust over at The View telling us how we need to uh, endorse reparations and these kind of social like um, equity policies. Uh, rather than what we should hearken back to that Martin Luther King Jr. did help us with. The, the check that we were writing from our founding comes from a, from a place. It comes from Christianity. And with Christian reform and Christian revival, that is the cure. But yet we seem not to want to, um, not to put our finger on that at all cause, right? We want to yep. step away from that if, it, if at all possible. Um, and it's bewildering to me, I guess, except for the fact that I believe in the spiritual, but also in the fact that I guess maybe there's a human psychology reason for this mm-hmm. too is that we will often take the path of least resistance. And maybe I'm speaking about the ignorant and not the uh, the useful idiot here and not the intentional, but we often take the easy answer rather than the more substantive answer because it requires more of us. But yeah. if we can point our finger at somebody else and say, you're the problem for my pain, and if I just get rid of you, then everything will be taken care of, then it seems that that, that could be maybe like a psychological reason for why we don't seem to be able to put the prescription where it needs to be when history tells us the prescription over and over again. Yeah, I mean, it's always easier, right, when somebody says, hey, it's not your fault, right? If, if we're even talking about, right, like I'm, I'm thinking of this because I'm in Texas and NFL playoffs were going on, right, and, and Dak Prescott, those couple interceptions, and like we, we can look and think about what happened, why did the Cowboys lose again, right? Seems to yeah. be just what they've done for 30 years. But it, it, it's easy, it, easier for the individual, right? If somebody came to Dak Prescott and they're like, hey, man, it's not your fault. Don't worry about it, right? Just because you didn't see the defender there when you threw it right to the defender, like, hey, man, don't worry about it. It's not your fault. Like, your life feels easier if someone comes in and says, it's not your fault, you're the victim. It's these other guys, they're the bad guy. And, and this, is the, this is what communism promotes, is that it's never your fault. You never need to accept responsibility for your actions and behavior. You're always oppressed. You're always a victim. And in a bigger perspective, too, when you look at the education system in America, right, we are producing people who are passionate and ignorant. And they they have no idea what is true historically, what is is the reality of where – where did these positive changes in America come from? As we were mentioning, like Christianity, the Bible, it's where it came from. But it's worth noting, if you even go to the Smithsonian Museum of African-American History up in Washington, D.C., right? This is the newest Smithsonian that opened, opened several years ago. I went there shortly after, like the month after it opened, I went there. And what's fascinating to me is when they got into the civil rights era heroes, they had a much larger section to honor Malcolm X 
than they did to honor MLK. MLK had a very small section over in the corner. Malcolm X had the almost the entire floor. Well, it's, it's worth noting, there is no Malcolm X Day. There's an MLK Day. There's no Malcolm X Day, and yet Malcolm X is the one that's being promoted on a much larger scale. Why? Well, I, I would argue, I think strategically, they don't want to focus on MLK as much because if you focus on MLK, then you might have to, to focus on the fact that, that he was a Christian. He, he, he was a pastor. He, he actually believed that, that we needed to forgive, that hate doesn't drive out. Hate only love does that. Where Malcolm X says, nope, right, we'll, we'll punch him in the mouth. We're going to take it right back to him. Well, yeah. th this is something that's now being promoted as the new ideology. And kids, they, they don't even know what MLK really was in the sense of like he was a pastor. If you go to, if you go to Washington, D.C. and you go to the MLK memorials, it doesn't even mention he was a pastor. Yeah. It's Dr. Martin Luther King. Well, he was a doctor, but he was the reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. If you read the letter from a Birmingham jail, it was the letter from a pastor writing to other pastors telling them that they were wrong for sitting on the sideline and that as a Christian, they should be involved fighting against this evil, fighting for justice and equality and truth, etc. He was motivated by his Christian faith. And today we don't even tell kids that. They have no idea. Yeah. And then we're going to spend more time on Malcolm X. This again goes back to this education system, which is now largely promoting these ideologies. There's a reason that when kids go to college and, and the majority of kids go to college not favoring socialism. And yet, there have been studies that nearly 75% of college students thought socialism was an acceptable yeah. economic and, and social system. Yeah. So 75% think this is a good idea. How? Because that's what they're being trained. That's what they're being told. Right? Yeah. They're, being, they're being very open, but they're gullible because we haven't taught them to be critical thinkers. Education doesn't teach critical thinking. Education teaches to shut your mouth, write this down, and repeat it, regurgitate yeah. it's going to be on the test. We're not teaching problem solvers and critical thinkers, and that's why they're buying into this, where if people knew history, they would recognize the fallacies we are promoting today. But unfortunately, we don't know history. We, we, we don't study original documents. We don't go back and read these speeches and letters, or we don't read the Bible to recognize what the Bible even promotes, and so we're landing in these bad places. So I'd really encourage people, instead of just reading what somebody wrote about these guys, go back and read their speeches. Right? Yeah. Go back and read their writings. Read, go read Manning Johnson's, this kind of autobiographical book he wrote, telling his life story. Go back and read it, and it will largely change your perspective on things. You don't even realize that you had bought into some ideology, and he's like, nope, that's wrong, it's communist. And you're like, I didn't know that was communist. Yeah, go yeah. back and read and study from the guys who were there, who lived it, who experienced it, and it would change your perspective from just what some modern professor, academic head, or social media star, athlete, whoever, what they've told you. Go back to the original sources, and it will change your perspective on a lot of, of what you have come to believe today. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if you did that with Malcolm X, this is more a religious argument than it is a Christian one. But nonetheless, if you did that with Malcolm X, you'd realize all of the militancy that he's praised for in his last days is something that he absolutely repented of. Now, it was because of his kind of awakening to, to Islam. And there's a lot of people who, by the way, believe the militant nation of Islam were the ones who were responsible for his death. But we'll push that off to another podcast. But uh, the whole idea is that he repented of them, the militancy, that kind of punch them in the mouth. If they stand in your way, your way burn their house down because that's the only way they'll ever learn. Um, he repented of all of that and, and decided to take a more religious path. And I guess we, the more you look at history, the more you see the contribution of Christianity in the world and how much of a difference it's made, especially in the civil rights movement. But um, but speaking of reading, too, I would or, or listening, I would encourage people to check out uh, Manning Johnson's farewell address. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's only a farewell address because it's the last speech he ever gave. It wasn't actually a farewell address. Um, and then from that, you'll also learn that after he left that speech, um, he died in a car accident. Now, this is more for my musing, and this is purely conjecture. But um, with as controversial as he was, standing up against very powerful people, he died of a car accident in um, a way that I cannot help but be suspicious to me. So, obviously, we're going to conspiracy theory. Uh, the way you're saying <laughs> that, you're, you're acting like maybe the CIA was involved with like JFK's assassination, right? Like... I'm only suggesting that perhaps <laughs> that car accident looks a little fishy. Suspicious, to say yeah. the least. Yeah, so, I mean, what are, you, what are your thoughts? I, I, think it's, I, I think it's odd that we are living in an era where so many conspiracy theories are now 
coming true, right, yes. on some level. And so it, it, it's to, to your point. I mean, when you have someone speaking so boldly and loudly and there are people in power who have a very different position and then all of a sudden that person disappears, right? I mean, this is, you know, one of the running jokes for a couple of years was – uh, about Epstein killing himself in prison, right? And, and don't get Epstein and, you know, don't come out against the Clintons and Hillary Clinton. I'm so sorry, right? We don't get Epstein. Well, there, there's a reason that was a running joke because people kind of intuitively know there's, there's something more to this than what we're being told. And, and right, like it, it doesn't make any sense. Epstein, one of the most notorious guys, right? All these famous people on his island with these arguably children, right? These girls, underage girls. And, and then all of a sudden when he's in high security, he's supposed to be closely guarded. The guards are on a smoke break at the same time. The cameras don't work. And like all that doesn't make sense. Something about this doesn't make sense. And to your point, when you go back and look at Ed Manning Johnson's death, man, there's a lot of reasons to go. Okay. Did, did, did somebody eliminate him? Did something happen? Right. When, when you have some of these strong political leaders who are coming out against a, a system of government, whether it be, Right. Like JFK saying he's going to destroy the CIA, he's going to splinter it so far, so bad it can never be put back together. When, when you have, you know, MLK being assassinated, when you have some of these leaders who are strong voices and then they're all being eliminated, it does give you reason to ponder and question. Um, and certainly it, it is suspicious the way Manning Johnson died, um, whether it was intentional. You know, it, it's just conjecture at this point, but it certainly was suspicious. Yeah, yeah. And and what isn't is the contribution that he made, which is the only Correct. reason you might even uh, use conjecture in this instance is because he was certainly standing up against a group of powerful people and and ruffling some feathers. And that's why I think um, that's why I'm so glad that you came on today to kind of help share and, get, and shine, shine some light on. Uh, him and the history of of his contribution, but but also too why I think more and more I want to try to encourage people to kind of do thinking for themselves mm -hmm. on on these issues rather than just listen to the drum beating that we hear over and over and over again in culture. And when we do that, we'll realize that there is a cure for the civil rights issues of our present age as much as we wish that they were gone and certainly we've made progress. But but there is a cure. Martin Luther King Jr. knew it. And the more we kind of continue to move in that direction, I think we'll see progress. But the more we fail to... Um, learn from history, we're destined to repeat it. And Manning Johnson is somebody that because he was so against socialism, so against the left, and the left is in control of media, you're just not going to hear about him. So I'm, I'm hoping this can be in some way a small contribution to just kind of help stir the pot a little bit more to help people realize that many of the, the prescriptions that are being given to us in the present for civil rights and for equality and for justice are actually morally and spiritually bankrupt and they will ultimately lead us um, in a car accident that was not uh, an accident. Anyway, so um, as we close, obviously the better place for any of this stuff, even in their conversation today, is to go to Wall Builders. You guys have just a humongous cachet of uh, resources for people to to learn from. So tell me what you guys are up to kind of um, in the present, maybe some special projects or anything that you guys got going on or anything that you want to promote as far as Wall Builders is concerned. Yeah, well, I think one definitely pertinent to the conversation today, we, we have a, a, a new series, a, a little written series um, that's a, an American hero series. And uh, we actually did a special release for February for uh, Black History Month. And what we did is we, we chose 20 heroes from American history who were all black heroes. So whether they were patriots from the American Revolution or, or Medal of Honor winners from the Civil War or, or, or some of the, right, like a, a, a Bash Reeves, uh, the first U.S. Deputy Marshal, um, black U.S. Marshal west of Mississippi. But really, like people argue like he was the inspiration for the old TV series, The Lone Ranger. He was so incredible what he did. Well, what we've done is we've gone back and we've told those stories about a page and a half. So it's a short bio on each of them. And you actually, it, it's footnoted. So if you want to know more, you actually can go to some of those footnotes, read even more from some of those original sources. But something we want to do is in, in the modern culture, where unfortunately in the era of the 1619 project or critical race theory, when in, in this Marxist ideology, you're either oppressed or the oppressor, and so, so often where we should be celebrating so many of the incredible contributors to America, some of these black heroes and patriots from the past, they don't, they don't make the, the front page, so to speak, because 
if you knew some of their stories, you'd realize that, that not all black people have always been oppressed in America. And therefore, right, the 1619 project, critical race theory, uh, promoters don't want to discuss these individuals. And we're going, no, these are some amazing people that should be celebrated. They should be honored. And so that's something if people go to the Wall Builders website, wallbuilders.com, uh, they actually can download these. They actually can print these off. Or if you want, want us even to, to send you a pack of all 20 of these. And we did 20 so that if, if there are, are people out there who are teachers, whether you're at a public school or a, a private, a charter, a Christian school, even if you're a homeschool family, if you're a grandparent, you're like, man, I'd love my kids to learn some of these great stories. And it's all in a story form. We just tell yeah. the story. Uh, we footnote some things along the way. We have a few quotes in there, but it's story form. So it's not academic. It's just you're reading the story. It's a super fun page and a half story. But if we want to help relearn some of these heroes from American history, this is a great place to go. And there's tons of other stuff as well on the Wobblers website. But this American Hero series on some of the black heroes from American history is available on wallbuilders.com. Yeah, yeah. And I was on there the site the other day and I was seeing the kind of cache of resources that you have something on your site that shows like how much of a certain subject you have. Um, and your your the, the amount of resources that you have for Black History Month is just astounding. So it's like one of your biggest topics yes. that uh, that you have resources on. So so I highly encourage people to go and check that out and um, even contribute to to what you guys are doing because you're doing a really really good thing. And I'm thankful that you're there to try to inform people and uh, teach them about the past so that they are not destined to repeat it. So man, thank you so much for your time today and thank you for uh, coming on the show again. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Reed. All right, guys, we'll catch you next time. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and go with God. Our thanks again to our guests for being on the show today. Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman was brought to you by our sponsors. If you like what you heard today, please do us a big favor and give it a five-star review and like it and share it with friends. And if you want to hear more awesome guests, make sure to check out past episodes. Indie Thinker is a nonprofit paid for by our sponsors and the generous gifts of people like you. In order to hear more great guests like you did today, please consider giving a tax-deductible gift by going to IndieThinker.org. And just remember, your voice matters, but infinitely more when you think for yourself. <laughs>